I didn't record. Oh! <laughs> All right, it's recording this time. I swear to God. All right. You are listening to POF Movie Review, episode number one. <laughs> yeah! Yeah! Are you going to bark all day, little doggy? Or are you going to bite? You got so fucking out of here. You know that? Break yourself, fool! Remember what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Ah. <laughs> Except for her piece. That shit will come back to you. It's the POF Movie Review Podcast. Yes, it's true. This man has no dick. Oh shit. And on a third attempt of recording, welcome to Here we go. POF Movie Review. I'm Alec Berry. And I'm Steve And that time he didn't forget his name. Uh, on POF, we review anything from Hollywood classics to pure dog shit. There's a whole shit ton of dog shit out there. Whole Thank pile. you, Hollywood, because it is a business. Hoops is an angry man about his movies. I count him too. I keep getting disappointed, man, and I know people out there agree. We have a big disappointment to talk about here later in this episode. But first, uh, why are we here? I think it's you know pretty obvious. Well, at least between obvious. the two of us, which is yeah, we dig podcasts. I've done a couple of them before. Hoops listened to plenty of them. Uh, we both like movies. We both have kind of diverse opinions on film. As yeah. he put it in an earlier attempt, PB and J together. Yeah, with, with a lot of times we. Disagree, even though we think we still kind of dis- uh, come together on still what are excellent movies anyway. Exactly. So we thought we always kind of argue about movies, and sometimes we agree. But we thought, why not just record it, see how this goes, uh, and maybe throw it out there for people, see if anybody listens. I think this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship. So we're gonna have kind of a basic structure. We're gonna do one movie that we expect to be good. Uh, one movie that we kind of expect to be shit going in, and then we're both going to... That is going to be considered our shit pick of the week. Shit pick of the week. We might even have a jingle for it. That's very tentative at this moment, but we'll see about that. But mm-hmm. I'm pretty sad on calling it the shit pick, because tearing into shitty movies is awesome. You like Plus, that word, too. You like the word shit. I like shit. You just like, you just like Shit's saying Shit's my thing. Shit's his word. Shit's my fetish. <laughs> And next. And now it's awkward. Uh, <laughs> and then, last but not least, me and Hoops will each kind of have our own little random pick. Uh, but, you know, the good and the bad pick, or the good and the shit pick, we both have watched, so we can kind of discuss it. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of our structure. We still have our own individual random movies we'll be interviewing. We'll also be reviewing on our own terms. It's very true. Um, so yeah, let's just kick it off with the shit pick. Hoops, I know you're pumped to talk about this one. You've got like notes and everything. I'm kind of going off the top of my head, so why don't you just intro it for us? Alright, so we got a movie released in 2009 by the name of Brooklyn's Finest. It was a movie directed by, I think his name was, what's the name of that director? Let me look at IMDb. It's right here. Uh, let's see here. Director is Ant- Anthony Fuga. Yes, he actually, he's, I believe he's the director from Training Day with Might Ethan right Locke and, well, he's in Darkness. <laughs> Wait a second, what's this about West Virginia? <laughs> Attended West Virginia University in Morgantown, this what? director. Yeah, it's on his IMDb page. Holy uh, for God. Those, for those listening. What a more appropriate person to be starting this, this off. This is perfect. For those listening, we, uh, me and Hoops both attend that college. We're actually recording in one of the college's dorms right now. And he's he was formerly a college basketball player. 
Holy shit. This guy, this guy has kind of had a successful life, except for... Oh, he did, he did uh, Shooter in 2007, Tears of the Sun, King Arthur, and Training Day, yeah. So he's had a few good movies. Yeah, I like Training Day. Alright, but let's get, let's just dive into this, like, <laughs> shit sandwich, which we're all going to take a bite of. Oh, Jesus Christ. Alright, All right, so, basic synopsis of the movie is, there were three rotating storylines of... An old cop who's about to retire, played by Richard Gere. An undercover cop, played by Don Cheadle. And then also a cop that I'm not really sure. I guess he's just a detective in drug enforcement, played by Ethan Hawke. Mm. And then a random awesome casting of Wesley Snipes. <laughs> With a rat tail. Yeah, put like a rat tail cornrow. Cornrow that lead into a rat tail, which yeah, I that's, thought was fucking sweet. Now, I, okay, I'm going to start off with the good stuff about this movie. Yeah, I, okay. But this is a short list. The directing is kind of there. Um, okay. I'm going to give him that. But in terms of, you can only work with so much. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. you can be the world's greatest director, but if you're directing like a piece of shit. It's going to come out shitty, it's no matter how you slice it up. It I've back. seen directors take awesome scripts and, like, make... Fuck, the, fuck up their jobs, yeah. but still have a, a semi-decent product at the end anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, speaking of which, it reminds me of Watchmen. I actually have been reading some of the original graphic novel, and I sort of understand Mr. Mr. Barry's See? reasoning. See? You're coming around. Yeah. That movie's a piece of shit. All right, but do you agree that the acting in this movie, Brooklyn's Finest, is uh, okay? Uh, I think Don Cheadle. I, I, Don Cheadle was like the only like good thing about this movie. Um, I thought it was like an okay film. I didn't think it was terrible. I thought some of like that whole corrupt cop sort of thing and how they each so character tired. We, it is tired, but I liked how kind of each of the three main characters represented kind of like an angle to the corrupt cop thing. Like, if Hollywood's trying to get me to hate cops, congratulations, because, like, I, almost any movie about cops now is either something from the 80s, which is, like, awesome Lethal Weapon style, or it's, like, now it's just about corrupt cops. I mean, my favorite movie of all time is The Departed, which is a, a, you know, interweaved story of corruption. But go ahead. I was just saying, like, I don't know, I, thought, I think Ethan Hawke is just kind of doing Ethan Hawke. Like, that's like kind of like emotionless guy, just like... Man, I loved yeah, him from Gattaca. I loved him in Gattaca and Training Day. But yeah, I like a lot. I think Training Day is great. He's great in that. Like, but totally it's like as time him. goes on, he's like, he does shit way Not over like the top. Daybreakers, which I kind of like like for a guilty pleasure. I didn't like it. Yeah, it I have just... like kind of a guilty pleasure with thing with it. Uh, like, because Sam Neill's in it, and I have a Jurassic Park connection and shit. But like, in that movie, he's just kind of lifeless. But I kind of bought it in that movie because he's a vampire. Like, yeah, so that is the sort of the character. Yeah. But in this movie, he's kind of the same thing. He's just like, yeah, I'm going to get some money for it, baby. I'm going to get a house. But I killed some guy, and I feel terrible about it. And then Richard Gere, I just, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, okay. You know what would have been the easy solution to Ethan Hawke's problem? Stop fucking your wife. Stop <laughs> knocking up your bitch. And like, did you have a hard time keeping yeah. track how many children he had? I didn't feel sorry for him at all. Like that yeah. character had nothing. But like, I couldn't. How many kids did he have? Did he have six? I did had he a have bunch seven? Of fucking kids. He had like two sons, two yeah. younger daughters, then an older, then like an older daughter. Yeah. I was just like, and then he's got twins on the way. I'm like, stop fucking. <laughs> That's all you got to do. <laughs> 
I don't Speaking know. of not liking characters, this is one of my main points. I congratulate this movie on at least the script for not making me like a single character. I don't. In which case, I don't. I really don't care what the outcome of every character's. Uh, is it is it more that you don't like the character or you're just not interested? Because I think there's a difference there. Okay, Richard Gere. Because I don't think... I don't, no, I th- actually, th- I actually think it's... Uh, I don't like them. See, um, though, here's the thing. Don Cheadle... No, Don Cheadle... Okay, his character, I'm general, I was generally uninterested. Okay. I was like, yeah, undercover cop, get it. He wants to have the, the desk job the, with, with, you know, the suit and the badge. See, I, that, I found him the most interesting in the cast because I thought the other two were, like, really predictable. They were just, like, cops that did bad things and they kind of wallowed in Some of his lines, them. though, were just... Don Cheadle? I swear to God, man, this is another point I wrote down. Like, I could have sworn at some point in the movie, I heard some characters go, I'm a cop! <laughs> Which is like a parody of bad cop movies. Oh, like, yeah. a cliche of a cliche. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Richard Gere... Let's talk about this character real quick. We had the fucking greatest scene in the whole movie. We had the most memorable scene in the whole movie. <laughs> it was the most random scene in the movie, too. It was though. really random, like... Alright, so he's an older cop who's like on the verge of retiring and he's being, for some reason the, you know, upper brass decides to stick him with two rookies both of which, this is the realm of unbelievable uh, they both get they both have something fucked happen to the two of them one dies, not not while Richard Gere's watching him, and the other one shoots a kid in the back of the neck <laughs> while pin, pinning him down in a convenience store <laughs> It's just like, but but at the same time, Gear is trying to teach him, like, don't give a shit. Don't be an actual cop. Just be lazy and stay alive. Exactly. Which is like a character that you just don't like. I just... All right. Well, here, I want to get to the point. Back like, to can that we, point. Can we talk about the... Uh, all right. Let's do your thing, but I actually want to talk we're, about... We're going to talk about the awkward, memorable scene of the movie. Please. Because we have to. Like, we, how can we skip that? But I want to get back to this point of, like... Characters being uninteresting be, versus characters being unlikable because I don't think you can necessarily criticize something for having unlikable characters. Because I don't think that's what's important. I think what's important is if the character's interesting or not. If the character's not interesting to you, I think that's totally worth criticizing. But if you don't like a character, you can still find them interesting, and that still you know works to a story. I agree. I feel like the movie might have worked better if it had one less storyline. Yeah, if it had one less. That, that was that was my major issue with it. With it is it had it kind of like for me. I just feel like two two stories could have. I just thought none of it came together. Like I kind of had a similar feel like with Pulp Fiction, like where none of those stories. You had three different sets of stories, but none of them really weaved together in the narrative. They were kind of just these three different aspects of corruption, which I guess can be kind of interesting. But the way it's written, it just doesn't really. I don't, it doesn't really sync up with me. It doesn't really work. Well, you know me. That's that's the one point where you extremely disagree on. But the Pulp Fiction thing. All right, so let's go to the really friggin' awkward <laughs> scene. That you know what? It's not. It's not like this is one of those things that made the movie bad. It, it could have been an easy fix. Like right, shitty writing is. You can't do anything about that. That's if you have shitty writing. That, that just, like, puts a stain on the whole movie. Exactly. Whereas this scene, please describe <laughs> what happens in this one scene. All right. That was totally unnecessary. I mean, I think it's, most... Okay, let's start this off with... I think most sex scenes in movies are unnecessary. Especially yeah. lengthwise. Like, a sex scene, sex scene could be, like, 20 seconds. That's it. 
Now go ahead. Tell what. Tell I'm just saying. This scene is almost kind of brilliant for like how, like, <laughs> un- it's not supposed to be funny, but it just comes off. It's unintentionally funny. That's what I'm trying to say. It's kind of brilliant in that way, but it's like Richard Gere is fucking banging some prostitute or whatever, doing cocaine. Dude, I couldn't figure out what she was, if she was a girlfriend or a prostitute or what. I'm pretty sure she's, like, because I saw Coke, I'm like, all right, it's prostitute. Like, yeah, that's but like at the, end of the movie, at the end of the movie, she's, he's like, I want you to come with me, and like starts holding her and like... And what it could be is like a subtextual comment on the movie Pretty Woman, because Richard Gere has a thing with a prostitute in that movie. Maybe he just has a thing for prostitutes, and he like I think forces maybe directors to write it into It's the a plot. subtext thing on... Richard Gear, where it's like we gotta put him with a prostitute but with a prostitute he kinda has like a girlfriend relationship with but anyway in this scene you know they're, they're going at it or whatever but then Richard Gear is just like chilling in his kitchen and he just starts going on it goes into this sort of like fucking just you know speech about how like pissed he is about his job and like how much he hates training these young cops and all of a sudden he just starts getting a blowjob yeah. which is like kinda understandable this whatever is the- <laughs> this is what hookers do but like this like He's the camera, talking. the camera sits on him for five minutes, and you watch this for five minutes. And while it's happening, he's talking like, "Yeah, it feels so good. I hate these fucking kids, man." All right, there. What's wrong, Papa? You gonna speak up? Or do I have to suck it out of you? Hmm? Come here. Watching this, no. my brain is burning on the inside of my skull. Exactly, having to watch this long blowjob scene. Because I was talking with a friend earlier. Have you ever watched a movie where, the, like, someone, like a guy, goes down on a chick, or a woman gives a guy a blowjob? It's like it happens like that. Yeah. Like you see him go down, you do the one up, one up, one up, one down head motion, then it's over. <laughs> this one was just like, like, oh, that was good. Damn these kids. Oh yeah, slow, slow. Jesus, like. Yeah. Why? Fucking they, like, had nothing else going for them. Like, we gotta get something that's gonna, like, make people remember this movie. You know? I guess so. That's that's when they lost me. That was just the point where I was like... The rest of the movie was just a what the fuck. I was just like, why the fuck are they showing this? Like, they're really showing this shit. So, the movie opens up, interestingly enough, with uh, Vincent D'Onofrio. Vincent D'Onofrio. He's from uh, Full Metal Jacket. The the guy goes crazy in the beginning. Oh, that's fucking... Pyle. That's uh, Pyle? Yeah. No way. I had no fucking idea. Uh, why, do you, why do you end up in this piece of shit? Because I'm awesome. assuming they all signed on because they thought it was a good idea. They just didn't actually happen to read through the script. Well, they just need paid. 
or they all just have shitty agents. Maybe that. I don't know. Don Cheadle usually does better stuff, though. I know. But, I mean, not to not to piss on Don Cheadle, but uh, I was surprised that he signed up for Iron Man. Yeah. It just seemed like he's a little more established than to be doing a, a comic book flick. Especially one that's trying to make mad, mad bank. I didn't really like him much in that movie, because like, I liked, I preferred Terrence Howard in the first one. I thought he, I like, he was like, I bought him in that role. But, like, I didn't dig him in that. Don Cheadle seemed forced yeah. in, in the second one. Exactly. And then, like, even before that movie, did The Traitor or whatever. Yeah. And, like, Guy Pearce in it. That was a terrible fucking movie. Uh, but that's actually kind of... Like, that Traitor movie feels a lot like this movie where it just feels like it's something generic that Hollywood just cranks out. That's all it really was. I, I kind of applaud Fuqua for his attempt at this movie mm-hmm. because, like, some of the directing and some of the camera work is pretty cool within it, but it just, like... Yeah, the interweaving of the storylines just it didn't work. No, it didn't. And I didn't like the characters. And it was actually... the Most of the movie was pretty confusing. So, like, the intro, when I'm t- talking about Vincent D'Onofrio telling that story about how he was drunk, mm. and then he gets arrested, and, he, like, he's telling the story to Ethan Hawke in a, in a car somewhere, some undisclosed location in Brooklyn, we assume, and, like, all of a sudden, Ethan Hawke shoots him while he's laughing, like, heavy laughter. It was just, like, the most abrupt, a lot of the people that die in this movie, like, die just very abrupt, like, very surprising ways and it's kind of annoying yeah and I felt like it was the perfect metaphor for this movie it's more like this whole movie you're just the whole time you're just gonna be thinking to yourself what the fuck just happened <laughs> another thing so, too, like, like, and another thing when Richard Gere wakes up to the loud alarm clock did they they literally pick the most annoying like ear piercing alarm clock I've ever heard in my life and then all of a sudden we see Richard Gere pour himself a glass of whiskey and then puts a gun in his mouth. <laughs> and, I, and I was just like, you know what? This isn't starting out well. Please, please let there be a bullet in that gun. <laughs> it wasn't. So that was another thing, too. Is like it took like 30, 40 minutes for like the actual like plot to kind of kick in. It was more just like the first 30, 40 minutes was just going around with these characters, like seeing that their lives kind of suck. No, but I thought... Uh, you know, to an extent, I agree with you on the Pulp Fiction point yeah. about the interweaving, but, like, at least within that movie, you can sort of vaguely understand, like, where these characters interact with each other, mm-hmm. whereas this one, it's like, how the, f- you're thinking, how the fuck are these stories going to come together? Yeah. And maybe that was, like, the the writer's, like, cunning way of keeping you interested in the movie enough, long enough to watch it. Uh, to be honest, like... like it, it seemed like they were trying to, like, experiment with the type of storytelling. But to me, it was, like, you didn't need 35 minutes of seeing these guys' lives suck. Like, if a smart writer was doing it, you could knock that out in the first, like, 10 minutes. It was unbelievably depressing. Yeah, and it, it was that, too. Um, I mean, I don't want to, like, say Pulp Fiction is, like, as good as this movie. I think Pulp Fiction, even though I don't really like it, is a lot better than this, because it has other stuff in it I think but this I thought was just a mess from the script I don't think a lot of the cast kind of carried any like made it anything better I think it was just what they were kind of given the work with though we agree though that Don Cheadle is the, the shining gem of the dog shit that we just saw yeah pretty much I actually liked all the scenes with Wesley Snipes too like we forget cause like he's falling out of grace cause he makes a couple shitty you know Blade all movies the tax, and tax shit. I like the first two Blade movies what are you talking about the third one, huh? Well, the third one's shit, but the first two are right. 
But, like, that's the last time we saw him in, you know what I mean? I guess. And then he had all the tax problems and shit. He got her, like, arrested or whatever. Wasn't he in, like, in a, in a sequel for, like, uh, like, U.S. Marshals or something? Or that was the movie he was in? I think he was in something with, like, uh, Tommy Lee Jones. Yeah. yeah. I think it was, like, U.S. Marshals or something. Yeah. I don't so, like, all right. I, I forgive you, uh, Wesley Snipes, for being a scumbag and not paying your taxes. So please come on back to Hollywood. <laughs> Cause we need more cops. Need more cops. All right, so I'm gonna I'm gonna make a, a, a I'm gonna put my stamp of approval or disapproval on this movie. I think you already gave it your disapproval. All right, so if you're into like if you're in a cop, you know, police corruption with decent actors and blowjobs, you should see this movie. Mm-hmm. If you like movies that make sense and storylines that seem to come together well. Basically, in general, if you like movies, don't see this fucking movie. <laughs> the only if, thing if, here if, is... If, like, if, if, you know, your favorite movie isn't, like, the Lethal Weapon series, if that aren't your top four favorite movies, mm. don't watch this. The only thing here is a five-minute blowjob scene, but you can YouTube that shit, so... Fuck yeah. Uh, don't worry about this. <laughs> RedTube or YouPorn. YouPorn, I'm sure you can find it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Brooklyn's Finest... Not recommended. Yeah. Pile of shit. Pile of shit. Pile of fuck. That's got. That's crazy. That guy's from WV. That was insane. I did not see that coming. No, I didn't either. That's pretty awesome, though. That is pretty awesome. Like, I mean, like Training Day is a good movie. I like Training Day a lot. So he made the replacement killers. I've never seen that. That is one of my favorite giant fat movies. (laughs) It's so bad, but it's awesome. You cold blooded bastard. I'll tell you what I think of it, but I hope you leave enough room for my fist because I'm going to ram it into your stomach and break your goddamn spine! Ah! Alright, let's get to the good pick, because we've done the negativity bit. Let's get to something positive that we can uh, praise. Uh, we're going with a classic from 1975, directed by Milo's Foreman. It's based off the novel uh, of the same title um, by a guy that I can't remember his name, but whatever, it's not important. Stars Jack Nicholson. This is one flew over the cuckoo's nest. I'm gonna put her in the basket. You understand? All right. Now uh, raise up your arms. Raise the ball up in the air, Chief. Raise it up. McMurphy, what the hell you talking to him for? He can't hear a fucking thing. I ain't talking to him. I'm talking to myself. It helps me think. Yeah. Well, it don't help him then. Well, it don't hurt him either, does it? Don't hurt you, does it, Chief? See? Don't hurt him. Uh, I'm sure basically probably everyone has seen this movie, uh, but for not a kind of basic plot synopsis is uh, Jack Nicholson's character uh, is kind of in prison, but he kind of finds an excuse to, you know, find himself in a, like, insane asylum. Not really an insane asylum, but like a treatment clinic for people that are mentally unstable. And when he gets there, uh, you know, he kind of starts to cause ruckus and he kind of takes a lot of the other patients and starts to show them uh, you know, kind of different way to live, and a lot of just fun stuff kind of ensues, but also some serious, disturbing stuff as well. Um, so, Hoops, what do you think of this one? Um, my favorite part was the amount of beginning, like beginning of actors' careers. Mm-hmm. This what this included. I, I mean, this wasn't the beginning of Jack Nicholson's career, but it was. You know, when he was like the king of '70s movies and stuff, like The Shining and. Stuff like that. I mean, I've heard my parents even say this is probably their his, the favorite role they've ever seen Jack Nicholson play. Mm-hmm. 
And what's scary is that Jack Nicholson reminds me so much of my dad. <laughs> like, especially like, when he freaks out and starts yelling, like, anything, anything. Like, Jack Nicholson is fucking crazy. Insane, man. Yeah, I kind of like. Go ahead. All right, we had Scatman Crothers, uh, Danny DeVito, Christopher Lloyd. These are just like his fellow inmates or, you know, patients mm-hmm. that he had. And uh, I was just like, to see a young Danny DeVito like that was just weird. Yeah. It was like, and he was good too. I, I mean, I couldn't really, whole, I couldn't really figure what his, uh, his condition was, was. The whole cast was spot on, I thought. Um, the nurse I thought was a little, I mean, I, I guess she was perfectly cast, but it's like, it was such a bland character. I can't tell. Uh, I don't, I don't know. Cause I got a lot from her character. Like, yeah, she was kind of just the cold hearted bitch and she really pissed everybody off. But there was, I got like an underlying sense of like something else to her. Like she was kind of determined, like in her ways, like she was stubborn. She's a bitch. Well, yeah, that, but I mean, like, like she... I would almost reserve the C word for this woman. Well, I mean, that is said in the film. Yeah. You know, Jack Nicholson does use yeah, it. Yeah, Doc, she's a real... Come on. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. If you know what I mean. You know what I mean? But yeah. uh, back to Nicholson, though. Like, I do I do agree. Like, I think, like, this kind of is the quintessential, like, Nicholson performance. Like, this, I think, is, a, like, a lot of his personality. Like, when I think Jack Nicholson is kind of this, like, spontaneous dude that just, like just laughs a lot and likes to have fun and just doesn't want to, like, play by the rules. Like, that's kind of this character. Yeah. You know? And I thought that was really, like, kind of... I mean, it was almost kind of Jack Nicholson playing himself, but maybe, like, stretched to a little bit of a degree. So I did a little reading into the movie, like, a little bit of film analysis, and it's supposed to be some sort of... It's supposed to represent, in some ways, like, a battle of culture wars in the, in the 1970s. That's exactly what it is. And it's like... When I was looking, when I had to, when I finished the movie and I backed up and thought of it in that con- in that concept, it was it was strange because it's like it seems so it's weird to have to reduce an entire country into like a, one movie. single. Well, that's that's what I think is perfect about this movie is every single scene it kind of comes back to that like central theme, central idea. I especially I love the. Like just the doctor scene, kind of in the beginning with Jack Nicholson and the dude that plays like the warden or whatever of the place. Like that scene is perfect for right. that. Kind is of this concept. the one where he tells the gross story about going down on the sixteen-year-old? Yeah. Ugh. But I mean, that scene's perfect because you kind of have this guy of like who you know he's supposed to be the socially accepted kind of order and everything. Like the the warden sitting behind a desk, dressed in dress clothes. On the other side of the desk, you have Jack Nicholson wearing a jean jacket and a toboggan telling like you know inappropriate stories and they're kind of like combating in this way and then you know that, that that kind of confrontation that conflict is ultimately met between Jack Nicholson's character and Nurse Ratchet. like that's that whole that that's that whole conflict is just Nurse, Rat, Nurse Ratchet expects you know things to be a certain way that is kind of the you know that's like the World War II generation of America that is them expecting the things to are. a certain way. Yeah, that's, that's the way things you are. You gotta fucking fit in your place. You gotta fit in your place. And then Jack Nicholson and kind of the rest of the cast, like, you know, they're kind of, they're kind of the hippies in a way, but they're, they're just more free-spirited. They like to party. They're not worried about, you know, fitting to a certain standard. They're, they're, Jack Nicholson ultimately kind of teaches all of these guys that it's, it's okay to be comfortable with, like, who you are. You may be kind of messed up, but that's the point. Like, be comfortable with that. Live it. Um, and that, I think, is just perfectly kind of echoed in every scene, and that story is just told. The narrative car- is carried so well throughout the movie for that, I think. Uh, I am... All right, so as you know, I like baseball. Mm-hmm. Um, I appreciate Jack Nicholson's character's obsession with watching the World Series. Mm-hmm. 
But at the same time, I, I was like, mm, I guess it's more... Con- if I was in the 1970s, it would make more sense to make that the one sporting event to, to have you know, a vast majority of people wanting well, to What's supposed to take place earlier? Because at one point on the in the movie, yeah. the show, they say the year on the radio when they're listening to the program. Yeah. It's it's like earlier. I think it's... I might have been early so 60s. That might, so that's probably like the golden age of baseball yeah, yeah. anyway. It was probably early All right, 60s. so I, I retract my dumbass little comment there. <laughs> no, it's all right. It's all right. You know, funny, funny little fact here. Do you remember the character Billy Bibbit? Yeah, I liked... He was actually like one of my favorite characters. Brad Dourif? Mm-hmm. He's the voice of Chucky. The fucking doll? The horror doll? The, the horror doll? No, the horror doll. Like horror. horror. Oh, yeah. sorry. I thought there was like some kind of horror doll. <laughs> no. Where the fuck can I get that one? <laughs> Brad Dorf voices some fucking real life doll. Like he something. does, he did, he did the Chucky voice. Like you're fucking this real life doll and it starts stuttering. <laughs> and Brad Dorf's voice like, did, 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 do it to me. Give me that good dickin'. Holy shit. That would like sexually traumatize someone, I think. I think I'm sexually traumatized from just thinking just about thinking it. Just thinking about it. But what were you going to say about God it? Goddamn. No, I just thought it was cool because he was actually also in Lord of the Rings. Um, mm-hmm. So that guy is actually probably a, like an underappreciated actor. Well, his his character I want to talk about too because I think, you know, obviously from the end of the movie, um, he is kind of the whole consequence and result of the conflict like the war Nurse Ratchet and Jack Nicholson are having throughout the whole movie. Like he's the... What's the word I'm looking for? He's the casualty of the whole thing. I suppose that's going to work for him. Yeah, what do you kind of think about that? That's kind of fitting into the larger theme of it. Yeah, I mean, I thought it worked out well. I think that's exactly how I thought about it. Mm. But, uh, I don't know. Overall, I thought this was well put together. I thought that was a good unfolding of events. Yeah. I, I liked a lot about that, like, kind of... I think, it was, I, I think sometimes movies like this can lose me mm-hmm. when... It's a little on the unbelievable side, and a character will do something that I would say, like, once again, going back to writing. Like, if a character I feel like is doing something out of character for them, uh, or they do something that I would morally disagree with anyway. Uh, Older movies, I notice, though, they don't, characters don't tend to do that. They're pretty, they're not, I wouldn't say predictable, but, like, you're, you're, you're with them 100% of the way. Yeah. They never they never lose your like confidence at any point. I think that was just the style of film back then was that you were the characters and the the acting carried the performance more than kind of today where you kind of work with high concepts and a lot and that is kind of the drive of a lot of scripts. Right. But back then it's like you know, like Cary Grant or fucking you know Jimmy Stewart like those were the pre- like those were the reasons to see the movies so it's like those characters had to be written well and I think that was just kind of the natural style of script writing yeah speaking of Cary Grant like I grew up watching that guy mm-hmm. and he was just the one vo- one Hollywood actor I could never imitate his voice it's tough it was just I don't know what it is like I go down to the stall and I, and I go and do all these <laughs> stupid things like it, it's just when, I don't know it's just he kind of has a goofy <laughs> voice anyway like I like to think I'm a, a classy American actor. Have you, seen, like, uh, have you seen His Girl Friday? Yes. That's a great fucking movie. You know it's a great, my favorite movie with Cary Grant of all time, though? What's that? You're not going to, it's uh, Bringing Up Baby. I know of it, but I haven't seen it. It's a movie where he, he's like a Clark Kent, like very nerdy individual. Mm-hmm. And he meets this girl who's very crazy. And he, uh, she, she's like very... She's like high society, but she's like almost like a hippie mindset. Like she's very free spirited, 
and she decides to get like a baby cougar. Yeah. And like they decide to like keep it as a pet. And they go upstate, <laughs> they go to upstate, or I think they either go to Connecticut or they go to upstate New York. And like the, the panther gets loose. <laughs> and like it's just a very funny set of events and it's probably one of the first roles that Cary Granite was like helmed the lead role. That's cool. It's definitely excellent. I had to check it out. Another like um, thing I noticed about the movie was the character of Chief, who I really liked. I really liked his character a lot, but I, I, I found it really interesting in the end of kind of what happens to Chief, like how he breaks out and escapes and everything, and kind of taking it back to that idea of, say, kind of the establishment, you know, Nurse Ratchet being the establishment. And you think of kind of the establishment in America, like Native Americans aren't the establishment. We kind of fucked them over to like you know put on our in our own establishment i kind of thought it was interesting he was the character kind of to break free in the end being that he is the native american character do you think maybe that has something to do like that says something with the writers wishing that like that's what a native americans would do because you want to talk about some don downtrodden people i don't I don't know if it's that far. I just think it's more kind of... It's, I don't think they're like a calling for like a revolution or something. I just think it's Not more... Not a revolution, but like breaking, breaking their, their, you know, kept, I wouldn't say yeah, captivity. Just, I think it's more of kind of like... It's like the be man. Proud. The fucking man is keeping the Indian if you think of Yeah, if you think of like Native Americans, they're kind of forced to be put into our culture, like Americanized culture. I think it's more kind of a statement of just like you know, be proud of who you are in your own culture, like, going back through what that whole movie was. I thought, like, that use of his character being Native American was kind of a perfect seal on that whole idea they're playing with. I thought that was really just, like, brilliantly done. Well, like, also, people, you know, I think I think people, a lot of times people, when they watch movies, certain characters appeal to us more than others. Mm-hmm. Like... Anytime you see a big retard, I hate to use that word, but like a big retard, and then we get the one guy who comes in and makes him feel like part of the group, you know, that's kind of cool. Everyone kind of likes that. Sort of like, you know, what was that movie with Sandra Bullock? The movie, the movie with, the, with, the, with the... Oh, The Blind Side? Yeah. Yeah, okay. With like the Mondo Tard. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but like Chief Dan, wasn't... Dennis Galicula. Chief wasn't retarded, though. He just stayed quiet on a choice, like... Yeah, which again I think goes back to that idea of like keeping. Like I said, I didn't want to use the word retard. I I wanted. (laughs) It's all right. (laughs) Let me use some fucking politically more politically correct. (laughs) Nah, dude, the show doesn't be political. Yeah, goddamn it. Fuck that shit. Um, yeah, but I mean, you know, this big guy is like a teddy bear, but like you don't want to fuck with him, you know, kind of guy. Mm -hmm. My favorite scene in the movie is when they're playing basketball. And he's not running back on offense or defense. He just kind of stands there. No, he walks back. He walks back instead of everyone's running. He's got like this little grin on his face, and he fucking just walks. He's having a good time. Goddamn badass. He's having a good time. Well, he's like fucking towering over all the black guys, all the black (laughs) guards who thought they were hot shit because they were black and they could play basketball. He came in and fucked them all over. Fucked their shit up. Fucked their shit up. Yeah, man. I I gotta say. I like kind of been putting off watching this movie for a while. It's always been on my list, but I gotta say, yeah, I came out here. of it. I came out of it just really like thinking this was a, a really well-made film. I think it has a lot to say. It's excellently written. Uh, the cast all around is great. There's some amazing performances in this. Uh, it, as a viewer, it really gets you involved with the movie. You really are focused on it. Uh, it goes by pretty quick. Um, you are you are you know relatively interested in the plight of all. Mm-hmm. The characters involved, yeah. Even to see like how how you know 
the nurse staff and the doctors. Well, I, I think it's uh, the end scene, like where Nurse, nurse Ratchet like kind of threatens Billy, like telling his mom, like that was a painful scene to watch because like you just like in like Brad Dorff's performance, like he really shows like he is upset, like he's really fucking upset, like with what Nurse Ratchet's gonna like do to him and and all that shit, and like that really built up to the point where he commits suicide. I thought that was really well done. Um, yeah. So. Yeah, uh, if you haven't seen it, I kind of doubt it. I think everybody's seen this movie except for us until now. Uh, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. It's on Netflix Instant if you subscribe to that service because you should. It's awesome. So definitely check that out. I would definitely say anyone who uh, likes movies needs to at least do Netflix Instant. Exactly. Granted, that's where we're going to get a lot of our shit picks from, but... Some good also, stuff there's also that. some true gold classics on there. They're putting Mad Men on Netflix and some. Oh goddamn! You goddamn right they are. Yeah, dude. They're they're gonna, gonna, well, because they because they pushed back the twenty twenty the fifth season. So. Well, they're putting all four on there, and then they're going to put subsequent seasons on there. So yeah. eventually, yeah. yeah Netflix pointed up like good amount of money, a million an episode. God damn! Man. Shows you how much money Netflix makes now. Yeah, man. But eight bucks a month, hit that shit up. All right, so you got to do that. Uh, I'm going to put my little spin on this. Uh, so, you know, I'm a young, dumb idiot who assumes that all old movies suck. You're uh, wrong. What? <laughs> You're wrong. Oh, I know. Yeah. Uh, but, I mean, that changes over time. Mm-hmm. And hopefully, like, if you're listening to this podcast, you're probably, like, within the same age bracket, at least close to Alec and myself. Goes all over. Because the older you get, the more the less you care about movies or the more snobby you become about movies. Mm. So I like to think that we have a down to earth sort of feel, but not like your average moron who thinks that like, you know, uh, your highness this weekend coming out is gonna be like the best. Oh movie come on, ever. that looks funny, dude. It looks funny, but <laughs> it looks stupid as hell too. Uh, Natalie Portman looks fucking hot in that movie. Like Banging. Holy shit. But um yeah, so, you know, as my as I get older, my opinion changes about movies. I, a lot of my favorite movies are all... I love all Hitchcock movies. I love... Um, some of my some of the best films I've ever seen are from the 1970s. Maybe Full Metal Jacket, almost any Stanley Kubrick film. Mm-hmm. So, I would have to say, if you have a soul, you will enjoy this movie. That'll be my favorite term to be using throughout this podcast, because... Uh, sometimes movies, the best movies are the ones that appeal to the human spirit. I know it sounds gay as shit, <laughs> but whatever, because we're all, we all have fucking emotions. So anytime a movie tries to appeal to that side of you is a good time, because if you're invested in the story and you care about all the characters, you know, you're actually sitting down interested in the movie and having a good time. There you go. So that's uh, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. No. Right. Very good movie. Why, son of a bitch. (laughs) (laughs) Alright, it's time. It's that point in the show where me and Hoops are going to do our randoms. Just kind of pull out something. Uh, We watched individually. We didn't both see these. Uh, I'll go first. My random pick is a 2009 release starring Michael Caine. It's directed by Daniel Barber. uh, Harry Brown. Uh, the best way to describe this movie is it's kind of like Clint Eastwood's, um, fuck, what was that movie with Clint Eastwood the last one did? A uh, Gran Torino. It's kind of like Gran Torino with Clint Eastwood, but it's starring Michael Caine. It's more British, 
And it's some British Gran Torino, and it's a little more darker. Uh, Gran Torino was darker, but I thought Gran Torino had its like light moments with the kid and all that stuff. But this is actually pretty like desolate. There's not a lot of light in this movie at all. Uh, you know, so that plot is basically Michael Caine was an ex-marine. He's like an old dude now. Uh, a friend of his is killed. There's a lot of like gang violence. He lives in a very bad neighborhood, so he takes it upon himself to kind of become a vigilante. Uh, to fix the problem, and the cops are after him, and shit like that. Uh, like, it, it's sort of like Death Wish. Yeah, Charles kinda. Bronson, kinda. I gotta see that. Sorry, it's all right. No, but this movie, like, I heard that premise, uh, and I thought it was really cool because Michael Caine used to be like a really kind of badass actor back in the day, like with Get Carter, Talent and, Job. Yeah, he did all those movies, and I thought this was kind of him getting back to that, which I thought was really cool. And, you know, I like that premise. And I kind of... I actually heard from some people it was, like, Gran Torino done the way it should be. And... Because I, I watched Gran Torino and I didn't absolutely, like, love it. But um, I thought, like, all right, this movie might do it better. But I gotta say, I thought this movie uh, just... It was not really exciting as I wanted it to be. There's a couple really exciting sequences in it where, you know, Michael Caine is going out and, and taking care of the gang violence. There's actually one scene where he, like, invades a drug house... And then there's, like, two guys. They're really, like, cracked out on some hardcore shit. And they've got, like, a hooker who they're, like, pretty much, like, like torturing or something. And he, like, takes them out. It's a really, like, exciting scene. Then he, like, burns down the place and all this shit. Like, that's a great scene. But other than that, this movie is really just kind of drawn out. It actually, um, you know, it's dealing with the, the ideas of revenge. It's kind of another one of the revenge movies. And I don't think it does anything new with it. It really kind of feels redundant. Uh, in that sense, it just feels like another revenge flick. Uh, there's also a lot of kind of coincident uh, coincidence is if I say that word correctly, <laughs> coincidence, coincidence, but like a lot of coincidences in the writing. Uh, in this one, like Michael Caine will just be walking around and suddenly he'll find a warehouse, which is a perfect spot for him to kind of make his headquarters. But there's like no explanation of how he finds his warehouse. He just like walks into it, uh, things like that, especially like in the ending of the movie. Um, Performance-wise, it's Michael Caine kind of doing his thing. Yet, you know, he obviously is a little bit more depressed. You actually see him cry in this movie, which I thought was kind of odd. Um, but I thought he did a pretty good job. Uh, other than that, I mean, there's not a lot of memorable, memorable performances. Some of the kid-like gang members come off as really shitty. Um, so you kind of, like, learn to not like them at all. But I didn't... I don't know. I don't think the writing was as strong on this one as it should have been. Uh, it's not that exciting. It kind of feels redundant, and it really kind of just hashes out the old revenge plot again. So that's that. Any thoughts? No thoughts? It sounds interesting enough for me to take a look at it. Yeah, I think it's worth watching. I don't think it's terrible by any means. I think there's a lot of worse movies. Brooklyn's Finest is an example. I mean, is this a Hollywood venture? Is this from the UK? Uh, I think it's from the UK. It was. It comes from an independent studio. It's not a Hollywood venture. Um, All right, well, if they had enough money to pull in... Michael Caine, they probably could have had enough money to hire better writers. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> Alright. Like, there's no problem with, you know, putting money into a movie or trying to, you know, crank as much money out of a movie as possible, but I mean, like, seriously, invest more time in writers. Yeah. Like, have a whole staff. Don't have, don't have one guy write something. I don't know. I think it's... I actually think it's better if you just have one writer on a project because it's a singular vision. If you get, like, five different writers, you kind of lose focus, I think. That's a true gamble, though, when you have one vision. I don't know. I don't know, though, because I think a lot of the most successful movies have been, like, written by one dude, like Quentin Tarantino, all writer-director. He writes everything. He does. Well, still, like, just, you know, the, 
the fact that they green light just just this horse shit. Well, I mean, a lot of it's just money shit. They just need to crank out generic bullshit. So. But go with your random pick. What do you got? We're going on to Hoops' random pick of the week. Well, I don't know if we're going Damn, for Damn, that sounded week. official. Yeah, well, whatever. Hoops' Hoops. random pick of this episode, which will be a 1997 release of Life is Beautiful, a foreign film from Italy, actually. Um, I forget. I wasn't sure if it won any awards, but anyways. It just came out in 1997. It's a... Uh, film that takes place in uh, southern Italy during World War II like right in the beginning of World War II um, this guy named Guido and his friend uh, Ferruccio are on their way to a town called Arezzo in Tuscany uh, they're on their way to visit Guido's uncle looking for jobs and Guido has this like fable like he has this idea in his head of opening a bookshop now, the, the character is played by Roberto Benigni, who is, like, uh, I want to say almost a student of um, Charlie Chaplin. Mm-hmm. He does pratfalls, he does, like, gag routines, and he's, he's a very, like, very lighthearted character. And he has s- some of his lines, this is probably one of the greatest characters I've ever seen on, on, on the screen, mm-hmm. because he's very, he's very fun. He has, like, he has this, like, wildly creative imagination. And some of the antics he pulls to get to get the favor of this girl that he meets randomly, like, it opens up with him and his friend driving through uh, Italian countryside, and uh, they come up to a farm, and this chick almost falls out of, a bar, out of the barn roof. And he catches her in the hay, and, he's, and he says to her, Buongiorno, principessa! Buongiorno, principessa. And uh, he keeps running into this girl over and over again, and he keeps being Rico Suave with a bunch of these people, like trying to be funny, like trying to say it's fate and all that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but as it turns out, like um, Guido is actually a, a Italian Jew, and uh, during this whole time while it's taking place during World War II, he's kind of ignoring. This goes into the whole character, like living in a fantasy world, where he's kind of ignoring all the anti-Semitism that's going on, like. His uncle's horse gets painted green with like a bunch of like SS lightning bolts on it, hmm. and it says like Jew horse. It's kind of like very strange. So he meets his chick. Oh, Dora is her name. Eventually, he's at a party. He goes to her engagement party. He's a waiter. Hmm. He's in. A, I don't want to give too much away for the film because I, I think this is definitely worth your time seeing this movie. Uh, he he picks her up at her engagement party on the green painted horse while wearing his waiter's tuxedo. <laughs> and she comes in and then the movie f- kind of fast forwards. It's it's this one continuous shot where they come down the alley to break into his house where she kind of goes into the greenhouse like kind of like in that sexy kind of way mm-hmm. and she and he follows her in there and without changing anything like, all they do is probably, like, bring up the lights a little bit to, you know, give the illusion of daytime. Yeah. We see a little kid run out, a little four-year-old kid. That's their son. Mm. Eventually what happens is, is that uh, Guido and his son get put into a concentration camp. Shit got real. Yeah. You, it's uh, it's amazing. Uh, halfway into this movie, this movie just gets really serious and really depressing. <laughs> and Dora, who, you know, she's not, she, for some reason, the 
the Nazis don't think that she should put her in a concentration camp. She asks, she asks to be put there. And what happens is, is that Guido doesn't want his son to get scared or lose hope. Yeah. Because I don't think, you know, he wants to see his own son have, have to deal with that. Mm-hmm. And um, so he creates this kind of fake game that, like, everyone's here for a game to win a, a big real tank, like a German tank. That's the prize of the game. And through this, it kind of keeps up your hopes for the whole movie. It makes you feel good about what's about to happen. Like, it, it's really a movie that speaks to kind of like the human spirit. As in, like, you know, in times of extreme despair and just hopelessness, that there's still... If you can kind of fool yourself into believing something else just to keep yourself going... Mm. I uh, don't want to give too much away, but it actually ends up being a very happy ending. It's kind of, uh, it's one of those movies that if you got a brand new girlfriend and you want to show her <laughs> that you can be very emotional, uh, it's definitely the perfect movie to watch. <laughs> it's funny, it's like, it's lighthearted, but it's also got a very adult, serious, you know, yeah. theme to it. Uh, it's th- also directed and written by Roberto Benini, but... Uh, my only issue with the movie, if if you might have, is uh, when when Guido's character goes into these little anecdotes and like his long monologues. It might be if you if you hate really colorful characters, you might just be turned off by this character in general. But other than that, it's the kid's face. Some of the facial expressions on this little kid makes the movie. It's like I know people hate kids. <laughs> but like at one point his dad said you know Guido says something to his son that's like so like the kid gets so excited that like the kid either the kid's a great actor or someone literally was offset holding something shiny for the kid because yeah. his eyes just lit up so um, movie is called Life is Beautiful the actual Italian is La Vita e Bella it's uh, released in 1997. Not sure if it's on Netflix. I saw it. I have my own personal DVD. On DVD. And I just wanted to watch it. So you got an opportunity. I would suggest watching it with the subtitles because the dubbed is a little funky. Gotcha. Uh, it's, it's all in Italian. Nice to uh, check it out. That's definitely my pick. Awesome, man. Well, I think that's going to wrap this episode then. I think we've uh, made it through our, through our first episode. How are you feeling about it? I feel pretty good about it. Yeah, I, good. I enjoyed how long we got to talk about Brooklyn's Finest, that, <laughs> that hunk of dog shit. Yeah, hunk of dog shit. Uh, if anyone out there actually has any suggestions or comments about movies they would like to hear us review, definitely drop us a line. You can you can email me at Stephen Hoops, that's S-D-E-P-H-E-N, hoops, as in basketball, at gmail.com. I don't know if Alec wants to leave his, but you can definitely leave one. uh, If you're on Twitter, get at me on Twitter, twitter.com slash Alec underscore Barry. I'm not going to give out my personal email. Well, we might actually, uh, uh, might even create a Gmail account specifically. We could create a a Gmail account for POF Movie Review. And also remember, too, uh, you know, we did talk about in the beginning of the show how we have, like, divisive opinions usually, but we ended up agreeing quite a bit on this one. Uh, Remember in the future, like, even though we might categorize something as, like, expected to be shit, you know, I might come in really liking it, and Hoops might still like think it's shit, so we could have an argument. Same thing with a good movie. You know, Hoops might really like it, I might hate it. Um, so there's always chance of debates coming out in the future. I don't think it'll take too long. So keep that in mind. But uh, Keep that in mind. Definitely come back. Definitely come back. This will be uh, a recurring little fun thing 
And we're going. Hopefully, we'll pick movies that will have us screaming at each other and, and stabbing each other in the throat. Also, if you're uh, getting this through iTunes, make sure to subscribe. POF Movie Review. There'll be a subscribe button in the iTunes Music Store. Just click it, and uh, you know from there you'll get all our shows automatically. So, if you happen to like our show, please be sure to leave a review. Leave a review, as it will get us suggested higher in the rankings of other podcasts available through iTunes. Through iTunes. Uh, also, I would just pimp it. I have a blog. If you like comic books, because I like comic books, go to my blog, alecreadscomics.wordpress.com. I write about comics in a pretty intelligent way, so... Because we need more of that shit. You got anything else you want to plug? This is plug. This is yeah, plug time. This is plug time? You can plug anything you want, man. Uh, my favorite website right now is lookatthisfuckinghipster.com. <laughs> Definitely check that out. <laughs> if you... <laughs> If, uh, you know, as I, as I continue to go to college and becoming more of a hipster, I'm actually growing a taste for PBR. So please definitely <laughs> check out that website. I'll, I have a Tumblr. I will give it out. Actually, Tumblr. it's hoopscansaveyou.tumblr.com. Definitely check that out. Gotcha. Other than that, you all take it easy. All right, audience. Peace out, and uh, look for the next episode. Peace!